I'm ready to review this film only in German. Or New York accents. Ganz gut, mein Bruder. Wie geht's? Willkommen. Willkommen. Nach the Only Real Fans podcast. Guten Tag. Sorry, Germans. I apologize. All I know so. is Guten Tag and Heil. Come. Well, who, who picked this film? Was it me? It was you. <sighs> okay. So what, so what gave your wings the desire to watch Wings of Desire? Um, yeah. All right. So I'm the one who has to do that. Talk about why I want to watch it. I think it's pretty pretty obvious. Um, so because we're working on a film that's heavily inspired by Vim Vendor's sort of storytelling, and I don't think I've actually ever seen a full Vim Vendor's film. I've seen clips of them. So I just thought, like, because we're producing this movie, we should probably watch movies that are in the style of what we're probably making and make sure that we like the style. Uh, and I'm uh, yeah. fortunate to say that actually the element of the movie I like the most was the style. I agree. The visual style I thought was gorgeous. A really, really beautiful. Yeah, excellent cinematography. Wait, so is that's it like the Vim? It's spelled with Vim a W. Vendors. It's not Wim. Yeah, W's W. No, W's in German and Dutch are V. I see. Vim Vendors. Um, anyways. So yeah, that's really like the big reason. And then the secondary reason is because when I was in college, I went to a seminar of Vim Vendors and I like actually, I didn't get to meet him, but I mean, like he was right there and I got to hear him talk about poetry in motion, which is something I say all the time now uh, because I just love the concept. And he used the, have you ever seen American Beauty? Yes. Yeah. You know, the opening shots of the bag blowing in the wind. Yep. So he used that shot and what he did is he just said, no matter how much you try to control how that bag moves, there's always an element you can't control. That's poetry in motion. Like you can affect everything around it, but you can't actually affect how that how that bag will move in mm. which directions and which movements. And that's it was just such a clear concept to me. I totally got it, what he was trying to say, yeah. without it having to be a factual definition. It's like, it's still a sort of artistic, poetic definition, right? To show that and say, that's poetry in motion, apply that mentality to your, to your movies, that microcosm uh, example, right? Apply that to larger ideas, like in your films. And that to me, I just got it. I don't know. I just got it. So like, how, what exactly would that mean for something that's not, reliant on the forces of nature like you know it's like a scene from this from this film so this film yeah uh, that's an interesting question with this film this film i feel like was a little bit more uh planned out and calculated this is might not be the best examples of his poetry in motion a really good example of his poetry in motion which is another film he showed in that seminar was kings of the road and that Kings of the Road was just a movie where they traveled around the U.S., just allowing the elements and the situation to dictate where the story was going to go without almost without a script or without mm -hmm. any story. I think there's elements in this story that kind of do that. Not all of it, but. Um, I mean, I'd be curious to like look up, is everybody in the movie an actual actor or were some of them, you know, not actors? Yeah. I guess is the question. 
I mean, like, lo- uh, looking at the IMDb page, not that this really means anything, because they're all German actors, uh, or a lot of them, at least, are German actors. Like, they don't have headshots or anything, so I don't know. If, like, the people, um, you know, like, what if the people that the angels follow around, for the most part, who who it's you see their kind of struggles in silence and then they help them like what if that's just like b-roll that they <laughs> they shot of like local people i mean yeah I stuff it, like that like, would be pretty cool stuff like that i do remember that this movie being probably his most famous did not show up in his seminar so again i'm uh, i don't think it'd be silly to say that it doesn't incorporate too much poetry in motion or if there is poetry in motion in this story it's much more uh miniature on scale than the whole like kings of the road the entire story is poetry motion is what he's saying like he just went and drove and made a movie from it right like no plan just allowing shit to kind of happen that's at least how i remember him saying the seminar i could be wrong vim i could be wrong so i think you're right i think maybe in this one there's just some sort of like uh smaller scale examples of it like when the marion is on the tightrope and the way she spins and how she spins like that's there's only so much you can do to control how that's actually going to look and how fast that will go i guess things like that as an example right it's true like i'm sure every take is different yeah i i wanted to say before we get too much into the and i think we're going to spend the whole podcast talking about this which is fine uh before we get into the visual style because the visual style was just beautiful it was so Mm -hmm. like i love the incorporation of black and white depicting what angels see and what humans experience and like how that's reversed than what we're normally told in stories how yeah angelic angels and like here it was humanity the most mundane is what angels crave because they can't have it just a cup of coffee is a special thing right i i agree i thought that was really cool and like, yeah, because when you think about it, angels, divine beings, whatever, overseers of the world, you know, allegedly, um, helping of the creation of the world and how things go and, the you know, the behind forces of nature, yet they don't know what green is. They don't know what coffee, why, why would they know what coffee tastes like? But like, there's so many times in movies and not really the best example because it's a it's a satire but like dogma uh alan rickman's character likes to drink tequila but he can't taste it but he likes to do it um it's just interesting that that just idea of like these alleged divine beings who like oversee our our activities and watch us and try to guide us and help us out can't enjoy what they're trying to help us do or understand the concept of it how much of this movie reminded you of dogma because i was constantly getting dogma feel like this was dogma without the comedy pretty much yeah i mean no rufus no Uh, but i mean but like i'm curious i know kevin smith is a very well for well-versed filmmaker you know he's he he plays stupid he plays like I'm a comic book guy and I just like, you know, the low, like not artsy shit, but there's no way you make movies like he's made without also really enjoying artistic films. I'm curious how, if he has seen this movie and if it has inspired him at all with sort of that idea of two angels on earth 
concept that are craving basically human existence. I'm curious. What what do you think? I mean, I don't see why not. I mean, he's he's never said he wasn't like a cinephile. He has to be, you know, he's a filmmaker. Um, but like, yeah, I could see this drawing inspiration or like watching this movie and thinking about like, how do we make this funny? Or like, how do we, yeah, how do we make this more satirical? I, I could I could see that exactly. Especially when yeah, especially when one of the main characters is an angel who wants who actually does want to be human, or even Peter Falk is apparently an angel who came down and to be a human because he wanted to be an actor. <laughs> is that what Peter is that Peter Falk's arc in that? Maybe I missed that. Yeah, that's why every time he's um I think my I might butcher it, but Damil, the main angel who wants to be human, every time he's seen Peter Falk before he became a human, yeah, he, he says, turns around I, and goes, I can't see you, but I know you're there. But I know you're there, yeah. And then he makes other comments about like the um his reasoning of why he enjoys being down here and doesn't want to go back because well, yeah, that just alludes right there that that he was an angel. <laughs> and he's I want to be was... Columbo. <laughs> Get me out of here. <laughs> <laughs> that was honestly, to me, one of the most beautiful pieces of dialogue in this. So the dialogue was, it was, it was good, but it reminded me so much of the movies that I had to watch in school. This is also mm. an interesting point. There's actually so much to say about this movie. I know you said you didn't have a lot of notes, but the the dialogue was really, it wasn't pretentious, which is good. It didn't feel pretentious, but it was on a very slippery slope of becoming pretentious because it's all subtextual. It's, you know what I mean? Like, actually, the dialogue doesn't matter. The fact is that there is dialogue matters because these angels are listening into our thoughts and our inner thoughts, and those thoughts can be anything. And some of them are really easy to decode, I guess you could say, or like understand. So, when the child was a child, like just saying that constantly over and over again, and then putting mundane actions behind it. You know, he played with a stick. He did this. That's clearly referencing Demille being an angel who hasn't gotten to do any of those things, constantly referring back to it, longing to have that experience. That's pretty easy to decode. But then you have the other angel who keeps following the old man. And I think it's like Cassiel. those are, Cassiel. Um, and that's also like that's a little bit more subtextual, but I mean, I think it's more. I mean, I don't know. How did you read all that dialogue from that old man? I kind of read it as like he was struggling with the idea of mortality because he was coming, his life is coming to an end. Yeah, I don't remember his full monologue as well as you do because you watched it like two hours ago. And- <laughs> I watched it like a month ago, but we need to start watching these together and then recording right after that's a better strategy. Yeah, fair enough. But he, I mean, I remember I did think a lot of the times in those moments, like those, those monologues, I think they dragged on a little too long for me. Like, like the point was made already and it just getting felt kind of redundant or like we're walking in circles um, or getting nowhere fast. Um, depending on like what the monologue was but overall like the general purpose behind them i i i thought was interesting and did a good job like reflecting those 
those inner thoughts that you would have with yourself on your own, on your own life or your own observations, but not one that you would openly share with someone, but like someone like a guardian angel would, would process and, and be there for you. Like it's just all inner, like inner monologues. And I agree with you. It It's a really, I agree with everything you just said. I agree that it might've dragged on a little too long. A lot of these artsy movies though, something that makes them so artsy is their length. They love to take their time. They love to be slow burns, which always means that for me, they end up being about a half hour too long, yes, but that doesn't mean definitely I, a half hour too long. Yeah. But they're, they always are. And that's kind of like somewhat of their appeal to me. Like when you get through it, you feel like you actually, it's like getting through a book, right? Every, you could say a 700 page book is too long, but when you get through it, it feels like an accomplishment of getting through that. I do see the value in that. So I don't actually want it to be shorter. It could be a half hour shorter. It should be. But then if it was, you'd not have that feeling. But some of the dialogue did drag on for me. I would also agree, though, that it was very accurate dialogue, like inner dialogue of people. It didn't feel overly pretentious because it was so much about mundane stuff. It could have it could have gotten way too philosophical. It could have gone way too, for me, like sometimes Nolan, where Nolan kind of goes a little into that like pretentious level. You know what I mean? Of like, mm -hmm. yeah. this is no longer profound. This is just like, look how smart I am. This never did that. I thought that it treaded the line really nicely of, yeah, it's really engaging and thought provoking, but I, it's never made me feel like I was dumb. It never made me feel like I was stupid. And I'm curious what you think, how they accomplished that. Really? I have my theory that actually maybe a lot of this wasn't pre-written. Maybe he just let people start on a tangent, randomly talking, and then like waiting till something beautiful said. So it really mimics real life rather than being something that he has to think out and write himself. That could be the poetry in motion, right? Like, interesting. That might be, I don't know. What do you think? Do you think it could be? I don't think, I'm not saying it's improv. I'm saying it's possible that they kind of had an idea and a direction and allowed that direction to influence what the words were. And then Vim or whoever is in charge of those, of this, you know, portion of the film would suggest oh i like that you know go down that road use this road not for everything you know like the dialogue at the end between i think her name's marion and yep. demille uh it seems pretty pre-written or you know i can't see you but i know you're there type of thing seems pre-written but the other inner dialogue those monologues what do you think that's it's an interesting theory and if it's true that'd be dope but i could I could see these being um, in a way like, like um, modeled after inner thoughts that either Vim or other crew members or other the co-creators had or, or people they knew had and they've talked about them, like interviewed people, maybe close family, friends, et cetera, and turned, turn what they learned into into these like monologues from these characters you know, you know what that's a really interesting point it would be so interesting this is a really good movie idea so maybe i don't want to say it because i think maybe we should write this down ourselves and like 
do something like this in the future. This would be really cool. Um, but I, it would be really interesting if that's how he did it, right? Like taking his own inner monologues or just allowing these people to use their own inner monologues and then go through tangents there. You know, if someone were just talking about being a child and then going down that, that ri you know, river of when a child was a child and then just hammering that home, which I thought was really beautiful. Yeah, the di the dialogue really did it for me. Yeah, in some parts I agree it, it was really slow burn. The cinematography, damn man, was just it was so gorgeous. You know, Luis walked in while I was watching it and he said that he thought this movie was from the 50s or 60s. And it's so intentionally trying to th show you that it's old, older than it is, because it's from 87. That's not that old. Yeah, it did, does not come off as a movie from 1987. No, I mean, like, even if Dogma was somewhat influenced by this, that's only 10 years later. Like, it's yeah. not an old movie, but it feels old, relatively, relatively well, especially obviously. The, the music, too. The score is very yeah. old. Um, the black and white, like the way that they light it as well, you can see those overexposure moments. Particularly, there's a scene where Casil's in like a bat. His name's Casil. I think so. I, I, yeah. I mean, I know that's how it's spelled like that, yeah. but I don't know if that's. We're how probably you butchering. It. We're bu we're butchering how it's pronounced. We apologize, but he's in a back seat, and the the windows are clearly really overexposed, giving him an even more angelic look, like he has a halo. But that's such an old film tactic. It's oh, really kind of cool. Well, it's really kind of cool because. You know, this is what I studied. I had to watch movies like this all the time, which is draining because they're they're really they can take a while to get through. That doesn't mean that they're not worth Especially watching. Especially when you're in college and you're like, yeah, you're, you're basically cramming half the time for what you need to do, even if it's just watching a movie. Yeah. So it's not I'm not saying that these movies aren't worth watching, but watching them in bulk can be difficult. And also it's like watching a lecture, reading like a, a thicker novel, like a novel that's trying to teach you something. So I do think they're important to watch, but I recognize that they're not eye candy like every major blockbuster that people would want to go see. Doesn't mean sure. that they're not really beautiful to watch. And truth is, it's not always about enjoying the movie. It's about learning something about filmmaking. And watching this movie, I can tell you right now, I learned a lot about beautiful filmmaking. And Agreed. one thing that really stood, stuck out to me was that this movie is newer, like we just said, but it feels so much like the films I watched in school and all of the films that I've watched in school. I think the majority of them, the directors have passed on the auteurs and the actors and everybody's kind of passed away. Uh, Igmar Bergman, Bergman uh, I'm pretty sure a Swedish director. He made a film called Wild Strawberries. Totally watch it from the 60s. It's beautiful. Or the 50s. Uh, Federico Fellini did a mo movie called Eight and a Half, which is an awesome oh, I film. I was going to say, this movie reminded me of Eight and a Half. Exactly. You've seen that film. Yeah. Uh, we should totally watch Bicycle Thieves um, by Vittorio De Sica. Um, I don't think you've seen that, but that's Actually, one of my... Wait, no, I've seen that. You've seen Bicycle Thieves? Yeah. It's with the, they... the father and son. Yeah. All and done bicycles. With... Uh, where his bike, bike gets stolen and the whole film is about him trying to get his bike back Yeah, from 47. Beautiful movie. Oh my God. So that's actually one of my favorites if I had to pick like an artistic film. But anyways, like this guy reminded me, this guy being Vim Vendor. Sorry guys, I'm losing my train of thought. <laughs> he Ooh. reminded me, the director. <laughs> I'm kidding. 
I miss this, by the way. I got so much going on in my life right now, but I like taking the time to just talk to you about these awesome, awesome films. Um, so it felt like a weird combination of all these greats from different, you know, film movements. Felt sort of French New Wave at moments. It felt Italian neorealistic at moments. It felt like the Swedish film, uh, Swedish films for a moment. And it was really cool because I was watching this. And again, I've I've been to a lecture of this guy. It was like watching a living dude who was pretty much the exact same as the greats from like mid 20th century cinema. And I really enjoyed that. I enjoyed that this movie felt like those old movies gave me that feeling of all the ones that I had to study, but it's not that old. And you can still see work from him and you can see more modern work from him. And you can, even if you're lucky enough, go to a lecture from him because he's a very interesting guy. Plus he directed a, video music video for you too so there's that but that's what i mean so Jack it's weird it's there it feels like he's got a weird foot in the door of the modern world and modern cinema but also allowing you to experience that old cinema and like kind of follow through with him you know see him in interviews talk to him about it where's his influence is coming from i don't want to say he's directly copying those people he's definitely adding his own style to it but no, it's I, I so just much. Say you see his influence. Yeah, you, you definitely. I haven't see his seen influence. any of his other work. Have you? Uh, no, but I'm very interested now to watch Paris, Texas. Yeah. I, well, what I was wondering, because like I, I know, especially based off the posters, that what he's also more known for. It obviously it's not this black and white style. The black and white was obviously, you know, important to the plot and the themes of this movie. Yeah. Um, but part of me wonders if um, these these movies, these other movies of his, you don't you're not going to get that same feeling just because like they're not, I don't know, they're more unique maybe, and maybe the inf the the influence to pull off the themes and the style of Wings of Desire was to channel those who who were before him from the 60s from the 40s the 50s uh that's it's my impression at least i i don't know much about his other films like what they what they involve but again kind of judging a book by the cover seeing a lot of these posters for him i don't get the sense that they're going to be similar in well, terms I mean, of stylistically and filmmaking perspective king kings of the road i'm pretty sure is black and white and um well that's older He's still an auteur, though, so you're still going to feel the he's got a style and he's got a distinct way of making films. So I'm sure you'll see some similarities in them. But yeah, that black and white sort of really old feeling, almost that the the angels themselves are living in the more early 20th century film world. Feels like they're behind in some aspects. Well, maybe. Maybe that plays a part because maybe. because they're not up to up to the standards they're not they don't know the they're not that well versed in what the world has become and that's that, why and that's why it, it just feels like you're watching a movie from the 50s when it's it's really just it's 1987 in in germany yeah when that color shift first happens and you see her point of view of things and how it's all beautiful and bright it's such a it's such it's beautiful it's like yeah it's the same feeling I got when the first time I saw Wizard of Oz and you get the color shift and it's just like 
the world completely changes around you. There's beauty in the black and white 100%, but it's just not the same as getting that gorgeous well, sort of I, I, technicolor well, look. You wouldn't have felt that way if the whole film was in color. Like if anything, in order to pull that off, if they if the whole thing was shot in color, they'd have to like overexpose the, the color in those moments. So like you just, it wouldn't get the same feeling. Like- no, and, all, and that, it was an that's awesome what's really st- great about this the artistic yeah. style of this thing. It's like you're watching this, and before you kind of figure out what's going on with it, you know, that whole like that I think I still think the first half hour we didn't need. I I, I just didn't really do anything for me. But oh, after, I, I disagree. Those, I disagree. What do you talk about? The whole library scene? Maybe. But it whenever I don't remember the exact point, but it was like the first half hour, I was like oh no, am I not going to enjoy this? And then like after that moment, I can't remember what the moment was, but I, I got super into it after that, whatever this moment. I know it was about like 20 to a half hour into it. Oh man, you should just pull up the, it's on HBO and just pull it up and see if you can find the moment so you can actually attest to it. Like the moment for me was the library scene when they're at the library and like, cause at first I didn't know what this movie was at all about. So I didn't realize that they were angels. I had no idea what was going on and I had to piece it together. And then they get to the library and you see just all these angels, all people dressed like them, all people in trench coats, just sitting over, looking over the shoulders of people or reading with them or just being their guardian angel. And this sort of eerie, like acapellic music playing how how uh, early in the film was that? That might have been the moment. Uh, I can pull up the film and check really quick. But well, anyway, what I was just saying was like, I kind of lost my train of thought. But the but yeah, that moment when you first see it, see it in color, it's like I don't know, like the black and white. Like we said, it feels old. It felt like you're watching a movie that's way older than it is. And I was like, kind of like I was saying, like, I wasn't really that invested in it immediately. But when that when that part happens, like when you see that tonal shift of when it goes in color, it's just like you kind of forget that you were watching a black and white film or you kind of forget that, like, oh, this is a 1987 film Um, because it brings you into the now with that color and the way that it was done. You're completely right. Even the logo logo in the beginning, I'm pulling it up now. Janice films. That's like all the old Simon's films car. Are, Janice, no Janu, Janus films. I'm not sure. Um, all of those uh, old films I had to watch in school had that too. I don't know, man. So the moment that it did it for me was 15 minutes in, where they're in the car together. They're just sitting in the like car shop talking about what it would feel like to wiggle your toes and stuff like that was really nice. But it was, Mm. let's see, when they go to the library, they go to the library at 16 minutes and it's that's when it really came apparent to me that they were angels because you saw all the other angels, but also the score in that scene is oddly creepy, you know, because it is kind of creepy that you have someone over your shoulder. That was one thing I, I took note of, that like a lot of times the score made me feel like I was watching a horror movie. Yeah, but I kind of enjoyed that because it is a creepy idea that there's people there you just can't see all the time. Yeah. You know, I thought that the score was really well done. Yeah, it's just, it's a, such a stylistic film that it's not for everybody. It's 
films like this always remind me of a conversation I had with a friend of mine who um let's his name will bleep out because I don't want to embarrass him. Uh but just say it in and reverse. also uh okay. Oh, I could try that. Oh, let me try it. Let me try it. <laughs> Hold on. I should uh I gotta write it down for myself or something. If he was really a friend, you wouldn't need to write it down. Well, no, he's really a friend. It's just hard to write down, like hard to like visualize how to say that backwards. Uh, let me actually spell it backwards. Sorry, audience. Uh, uh, oh, this is hilarious. This is a. This is how we should talk about everybody now when we're when we don't want to mention their names. Although he might still figure it out. <laughs> Maybe you'll figure it out too. Reltub. Turb. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I did. <laughs> Reltub Relt Turb. Old Relt. Uh, um, <laughs> My boy. Yeah, old old Relt. Um, he took a class when he was in Germany, actually, on film, and he had to watch the the movie that I think I, I was gonna make you and Simon and Luis watched together, which was Metropolis, and not join you on that podcast. The old 1920s, like three hour silent film, which is it's a good movie, man. It's it's cool. It's really cool. I but so he's remember that being brought up. This was like over a year ago when we first started. But anyways, uh, so I right, you know, we were talking about films with uh with old uh Relt, right? Is that what it was? Yeah, Relt Tub. Well, he's and your friend, not mine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> With old Mr. Turb and uh Turbentine. And uh he was telling me how he never realized that films could be artistic. He thought they were always done for money. And in some capacity, he's not wrong. Like films are always done for some money, but there are a lot of artistic films out there where you have people that are like the old filmmakers who were not making loads of money, you know, these European filmmakers. And who just did it to make art. It is an art piece after all. It's a form of art. This movie reminds me so much of like, it's just true art. Regardless of the budget that Vim Vendors would have had, he would have to make this movie. You know, this is not mm -hmm. for him. I'm doing this because I want to make loads of money. And I, I'm sure all filmmakers will tell you like, yeah, I want to do it because I want to make stuff and it's fun. But like a lot of them want to be millionaires too. <laughs> well, I mean, there are so many great examples of films that were the people involved in it. It, it was because it is it's a job. Filmmaking is a job, especially when you actually make it and get hired for other projects besides making your own. Um, and you can tell like a prime example of most recent is like Guy Ritchie directing the Aladdin movie. He didn't do that because he had a passion for Aladdin. He definitely did it because he needed some money and wanted to make his next film. Exactly. But then there's people, there's actors like like Willem Dafoe, I think is a prime example of an actor who, I mean, he's in so many things. He's obviously doing yeah. well for himself, but he is someone who seems to really just love the art of acting and the art of filmmaking that he doesn't, he won't say no to something that is low brow, like compared to like the bigger films that he's been in, like. Uh, I saw a video of him talking about him being on the Florida project and how much he loved being on set with all these people who, who really weren't actors. They were just local Florida residents. And another uh, reference for the filmmakers we were working with on this feature film. 
I love that movie. I love that movie too, man. That movie, just honestly, this these types of films, I really love. Like, I love that. Like, I would want to make these films, even if people don't enjoy them. Like, I would want to make artistic pieces like this, which is watching this movie actually gave me a little bit more, uh, not courage, but I, I don't know. It motivated Desire. me more on the... F- Desire. There you go. It motivated me more on this project that we're working on because it is just, uh, it's going to be that type of film. I believe in yeah. the filmmakers. I bu- I love the Absolutely. vision they have. And it, if they can pull it off, it's going to look like this. It's going to feel like this. And I love those types of movies. I totally want to be a part of a movie like that. The only thing, and I told Simon this, that I'm upset about is that we are not part of it artistically. We're part of like functionality for it, getting it to be like getting it to be real, which is still a huge deal. So we should feel proud and feel like it's our film too, but we are not part of the creativity. And that's the one thing I'm missing a little bit. I'd love to be part of the creativity of making one of these films. You know, although I agree, I wouldn't want to force myself into a someone's own creative journey. Like, no, no, no. I'm not not saying that I want to be a part. This is very personal to the creators involved. And I'm not saying my own trying to like get in the storytelling and creative aspect uh, would feel out of place. No, no, no. I agree. I actually don't want I'm not talking about their script. I'm talking about a script that we would write in this style. Which I actually think we could do with a script that I currently wrote. Interesting. I I think that the, you know, uh, let's bleep this one out. I I just want to have a bleep in our podcast. There's something about podcasts with bleeps and podcasts without bleeps. Podcasts with bleeps, that's a real podcast. That's one that Mm -hmm. matters, that has information in it that shouldn't be shared. (laughs) Like our Um, size. Yeah, bleep that out too. (laughs) Here, I'll say it right now. Huge. <laughs> totally Speaking of which, a quick segue. Um, are you? My thought, but continue. Oh, okay. Never mind. Then you you go ahead. I was I just going to say. I think it. that I no no. I want to hear your segue, but I was just going to say that I feel like we could possibly rework sort of template and like kind of inspiration for that script. We should talk about that later. Please bleep out the title. I don't want people knowing about it just yet. I will. Don't worry. All right. Give me I your want. segue. Um, my segue was. Um, have you heard of Frank Ocean's um, luxury jewelry line, Homer? No. Well, um, it's super expensive. Like some things are like priced at $1.2 million for a fucking necklace, diamond necklace. So insane. But that's besides the point. Um, he recently made like an announcement or like about his new, the new drops. And Technically, three of the items were um, cock rings, <laughs> diamond and gold encrusted cock rings that priced between two thousand and twenty seven thousand dollars. Well, you know, I know a guy that might be interested in that stuff. He was the the cock sheath guy. Oh, yeah, he he'd love it if he's got the cash. But like, he might be, he might be into it. Like knowing the purpose behind one, why would you want? a bejeweled version <laughs> like you know it's a good good question i have the no functionality idea. will not be different it will just be shinier it might blind your partner in the wrong light i have no idea that's so weird speaking hey, of blinding lights let's talk about those angels again 
Uh, I actually, I, you know me, I got to jump because I, uh, I got an audition today, folks. Oh, wow. Um, wow, it's already 520. I know. There's actually so much about this movie I'd still want to talk about. But there's one last note too. I wanted to say. and I got one we, more as we well. Might, maybe we, why don't we, maybe we do a part two if we feel we got enough. I could do two parts on this film. I would actually be very interested if you're interested to maybe watch like the music video he did or another like short piece he did and talk about it again next week. Cause like, I, I very much enjoyed this film. There's a lot to talk about. It's going up there for me with uh, once upon a time in America for this season. Great movie. Yeah. Um, but the one note I want to say, and then I really have to jump. Sorry, folks. Sorry to cut it short was this movie also shows me that there is a fine fucking line between genius and insanity because we also did ed wood this season and i have to be honest with you watching movies like this and then watching glenn or glenda make me see what ed was trying to do and i honestly for the life of me cannot tell you what is different besides possibly the quality but this movie the was story a five million dollar yeah but i mean like Look, there's a sort of there's like, a general story going on in Wings okay, of Desire. Okay, Glenn or yes, Glenda, but there's also non sequitur dialogue. There's subtextual sure. dialogue. There's like deeper themes. There's a lot of stock footage. These are all things that are happening in Glenn or Glenda, and I can see like, damn, there's like this is what I talked about. If a bunch of like film critics told us for years Ed Wood was a genius, would a lot of people come away nowadays saying he was a genius? It's weird to me. It's like this weird right. sort of what 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 dictates art is good or bad that will be the final note i had but i just wanted to say it i was like there is literal stock footage in this i see what edward was trying to do i mean there's there's stock footage in a lot of films not everything's b-roll you're right all right brother i gotta but, go but if you want to have another conversation about this i'm happy to continue it because it was yeah it was I, a i say let's do it let's do yeah. part two coming next week Not two. All right, take care. Put your wings on. Mm